We have pet owners in church today. Let's start with, how many of you have dogs? Any dogs? Okay. Did you know that dogs are mentioned 44 times in the Bible? Doesn't that make you feel better? Yeah, yeah. Any cat owners? Cat owners. You know how many times cats are mentioned in the Bible? Yep. Amen, brother. No. Now, some people would say, but, but preacher, the lion is in the cat family. That's true. That's true. The devil is often compared to a lion. So, you know, there's a connection between the devil. Of course, then you're going to say, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. Some very smug cat owners are making their point now. So fine, it's a draw. Nobody really knows about cats is the final answer there. Uh, do we have any exotic pet owners? How about uh, iguanas? We all own iguanas around here, don't we? I see them all over. I have several in the yard here, just have free range. Hedgehogs, any hedgehog owners? Hedgehog, awesome. Two hedgehogs. And a chinchilla. And a what? A rabbit. That's very nice. I'm impressed. That any, can anybody beat that menagerie? Two hedgehogs, a chinchilla, and a rabbit. Sounds like a really bad joke. Doesn't it? No, I don't know if they walked in a bar or not. But there it is. Pet owners. Anybody here have sheep for pets? No? I was certain in Key Largo, sheep were everywhere. I see them everywhere up and down. Ironically, maybe not ironically, I don't know if that's the word used right there. Did you know sheep are mentioned over 200 times in the Bible? Isn't that interesting? So instead of talking about dogs or cats or hedgehogs and chinchillas, what do you say we talk about sheep? Or maybe more specifically, the shepherd. We started last week a, a series that is going to focus on the things that Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of John, primarily the I am statement. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is very direct, very clear, and he says, I am. Last week we looked at the statement he made that he is the resurrection and the life. That's a very important thing coming out of Easter and the fact that that would give us great hope. Today I want to look at John chapter 10, because in John chapter 10, Jesus makes this statement. In John chapter 10, verse 11, he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In a nutshell, in that verse, we have the gospel, the good news. He is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd is willing to die in the place of his sheep. And what greater summary of what Jesus has done for us than that fact, that reality, that he was willing to die in our place, demonstrating that he is truly the good shepherd, which means, well, one thing, we're the sheep. Isn't that exciting? Exactly. Thank you. Thank you very much. you say that was bad? No. We are the sheep. 
And I think one of the things that we'll see as we go through this passage, we're going to take John 10 and Psalm 23 and kind of compare them to each other and see if we can learn from both, not compare them, but put them up against each other and see if we can learn from them. Here is the reason Jesus would call himself the good shepherd is because every sheep needs a shepherd. Because sheep have some issues. Don't they? Somebody said sheep have one huge issue. They're stupid. They're just stupid. Sheep are stupid, apparently. Now, I've never had a sheep. And if you have and I've offended your sheep, that was the smartest sheep ever, I'm sorry. But when you think about it, there might be some things. I mean, you can go to the circus and you can see trained animals of all kinds. Lions, you know, the tamer in there. You see uh, maybe elephants or horses. You can even see a flea circus. But never will you see a sheep circus. Not that I know of. Sheep aren't the brightest in the world. Sheep are just relatively dumb. One of the ways that's manifest is sheep get lost really easily. Sheep have a tendency, and we'll even see this as we go through some more, sheep have a tendency to get off the path. In fact, Isaiah 53, it says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. One of the characteristics of sheep is they just wander off. They want to go their own way. And we as human beings can see that in our tendency. We have a tendency to want to, well, do it. Should I burst into song? No, I shouldn't. My way, our way. We like to do things the way we like to do them. And, and we're like, we want to go this way. I think if I just do this, I'll finally be happier. If I just get that, I'll finally be happy. We pursue all sorts of things. And ultimately, we get off the path. Not only are sheep easily lost, they're stubborn. Now, I know the mule or the donkey might be pretty stubborn, but sheep have their own thing. I, I read this, which was actually pretty fascinating. Apparently when sheep, if they go through a narrow passageway and they kind of get jammed in there, they never think to back out. All they'll do is press harder into the passageway, no matter how narrow it gets, until they're completely stuck. They just keep on going this way. Humans never do that, do they? You've never seen a human being have a habit that they know is destructive, that no matter how much hurt or pain it brings, they just keep pressing into that habit. Never, right? It's like, I have a problem with credit. Let's go to the mall. Right? Or whatever the case may be. We just keep, as humans and as sheep, we have a tendency to be stubborn. Anybody here married to someone? No, I shouldn't do that, sir. That would be wrong. Don't even go there. You are all thinking it. Because here's what I've learned. Over, over many years of, of standing up here and talking about things, a lot of times after the sermon, this is what people tell me, boy, I really wish blank could have been here to hear that. And you know what I bet blank is thinking? <laughs> I really wish they were here to hear that, right? And so I can think of lots of stubborn people. But I'm a sheep too, and I have a tendency just to wedge myself in tighter, to be so stubborn, to get in those habits and patterns that I don't get out. And sheep are also pretty defenseless. You know, a lot of animals have claws or, or fangs. Some of them can, can uh, have great speed to get out of trouble. But sheep, not a lot going for them. They are, in fact, relatively defenseless, which is why, for all of these reasons, Sheep need a shepherd. 
They are in desperate need of someone to come along and take care of them. And Jesus says to us as human beings, listen, I am the good shepherd. I will come along and I will take care of you in ways that you can't take care of yourself. He says some some amazing things here in this passage. I want to look at several ways Jesus is a good shepherd for us and the reasons we need it. One of the things that a good shepherd does is guide his flock. In John chapter 10, beginning at verse 3, uh, Jesus says this, the, the sheep, or excuse me, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The good shepherd guides his sheep, and they know to follow him. And that's the, the relationship that, that this section tells us. Our role, our responsibility as sheep, as defenseless and stubborn and stupid and all those other things that we are, our role is to follow the guidance of the good shepherd. That's pretty important. How do we follow that guidance? Well, it gives us a little hint there that it says when the, when the watchman opens the gate, how does the shepherd gather his sheep? He calls them, and the sheep know his voice, and they follow him because of his voice. Now, if you're not familiar with, with kind of this period of time in history, one of the dynamics of these sheep pens that's in mind here is that it was a large pen where lots of different flocks of sheep were kept at night. This was probably closer into a town. And in this pen, uh, the watchman was hired to stay there overnight while the shepherds went to their places and got some rest. But in the morning, they would come in. And so in this large community pen would be the flocks of several sheep. And the only way that the shepherd could identify his sheep and get them to follow him was, as you see here, because they knew his voice. And most shepherds had sort of a a certain tone or sing-song that they would offer to their sheep. And so they would come by the the sheep pen and enter in as the door is open. They would offer that call, that very familiar call, and the sheep would hear that and know that is the voice, that is the intonations of my shepherd, and they would follow him out. Now, I think we know, I shouldn't say I think we know, I think the question that arises then is how do we know the voice of the shepherd? Well, let me give this illustration. Let's say one Sunday, one Wednesday, whatever it was, there was a big church to do. Because those are the days that churches have to do. And because it was a Baptist church to do, there was food involved. And all the Ewans were over in the fellowship hall. Let's make it more specific. Let's say it was a ladies thing. And you were all in the fellowship hall. I say ladies because if you've ever been to a ladies thing, ladies like to enjoy talking with each other. Is that fair to say? Was that delicately enough? If you've ever been to a men's thing, we just sit there and eat and drunk. But if you go to a ladies, I mean, that's kind of what happened Thursday. You just sort of looking at each other a little bit, you know. Right? Okay, just checking, men's leader. But the ladies, they'll be gabbing. Now, now let's say you blindfolded me and you told me somewhere in that room, Charles, is your wife. Denise is in there. Find her. Would I be able to find my wife blindfolded? The answer better be yes. I'm not suggesting we try this. I'm pretty sure I could find her just because I would know her voice. It would be one of the louder in the room. That would be my first. Is that? 
what? She's in the nursery. This is fine. Listen, she has a voice that's loud. She's okay with that. She's figured it out. Her whisper is like my yell, which is interesting because, you know, I kind of have to talk sometimes for a living, and my voice doesn't carry. Hers carries. So that would be my first clue. I could listen to some of the, but even if she was whispering, if I got in that room and went around and listened, eventually I'd be able to hear her voice, I would recognize it, and I could find where she was. And for most of you men, you should better be able to do the same, right? Now, if, let's say, it was your second, third, fourth time here ever at our church, and we blindfolded you and said, go find the preacher's wife, you'd have a harder time. And it seems like there's a couple reasons. One reason might be you just don't know her. And another reason might be you haven't spent very much time with her. And if we take those two reasons and go back to this verse, I would suggest to you, how can you know the good shepherd's voice? Well, if you don't know the good shepherd's voice, it's probably one of those two reasons. One, you just don't know him. Or two, you haven't spent very much time with him. Now, don't hear me say, by the way, because I don't want to, to give the idea that this is how it works, that I hear audibly Jesus speaking to me. Like, you know, when I go in my office and close the door, you know, the lights dim and the voice of God echoes around the bookshelves. It doesn't happen that way. I think God speaks a lot to us. And if I can borrow from Henry Blackaby's um, experience in God, he mentions four particular ways in his experience he's found through the Bible. God speaks incredibly to us through his revealed word. That's why he gave us this book so we could read it. We, ha- we have access to it in so many ways. Somebody was making a joke earlier as they were on their phone. Hey, what's this? isn't it great that you can come to church now and use your phone in church and read the Bible? Because that's what you're all doing, right? Absolutely. Trust, absolutely. I mean, that's, you have the, maybe it's a tablet and it's right there. It's a great thing. I, use, I have a reading plan on my tablet I, that every day sends me a reminder, hey, don't forget to do your Bible reading today. It's a great little tool that we have. We have such access to the Word of God. Let me ask you this. How many of you believe everything you read on the Internet? Nobody? Even after that commercial? No one. Okay, let me ask this question. How many of you believe what you read in the Bible? Wow. How many of you spend more time reading the Internet than the Bible? Ouch. And you wonder, why can't I understand what Jesus is trying to tell me? Because maybe you're not tuned in. You you don't know him or you haven't spent enough time with him. He's given us this book, His Word, and we have such access to it in so many ways, like no generation in history. And in it, we hear from God, and we come to know the voice of God and His Word. And when He calls us, we can know that through the Bible, through prayer. God speaks to us through prayer. God speaks to us through circumstances. Sometimes in our life, we we often talk about opening and closing doors. This is how in, in church world we describe the way that sometimes circumstances help us make decisions of which, which direction to go. And sometimes God speaks to us through other people, through the church, through other believers. Maybe it's very directly when, when God 
send somebody to, to say something to you that you needed to hear. Maybe it's it's in a small group setting with, with a group that you study the Bible with and in discussions and what as people have learned things, they share what they've learned and it's like a light bulb goes off in your head or bells are ringing, hey, I needed to hear that. God speaks to us. The issue isn't whether or not God is speaking to you. Just like the issue for the sheep in the pen isn't whether or not the shepherd has come to get them. It's do they recognize, do they know his voice? If we want the good shepherd to guide us, if we're going to follow him, we need to hear and we need to recognize his voice. We need to spend time with him in his word, in prayer, with other believers, so that we might become attuned to that voice. So when when he speaks, in whatever means he chooses, we recognize it, and then we're able to follow. I told you we we're going to look a little bit at the 23rd Psalm, which is an incredible psalm. Most of us uh, know it and love it, and it's used quite a bit, and, and it speaks to us as well in this re- regard. In Psalm 23, verse 3, David writes that the, the, the Lord is my shepherd in verse 1. In verse 3, he says, He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. There's a great book, maybe you've read it or heard of it. It's called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Uh, the, the last name of the author, I believe, is Keller. Not Tim Keller, but another Keller um, a few years ago. And he was by trade a shepherd, and he looked at the imagery in the 23rd Psalm through the lens of his life as and with shepherds in fields actually caring for real live sheep. Not like a shepherd, church world shepherd, but a real live working with sheep kind of shepherd. And, and he reads this. And what he found in his experience was part of that, you know, sheep are stubborn and sheep are not the smartest animals and sheep are defenseless and all those sort of things. That sheep, even though the path may be well-worn, so that if we were to look across this field or or through this area, we would see, oh, obviously that's the path. The the grass is trampled. Maybe there's even dirt that's showing. It would be obvious to anybody that looks, there's the path. Sheep don't always like to take the path. It could be as clear as day, three-foot grass on either side and a nice clear path, and they'll wander off in the tall grass. The good shepherd, as it says here, leads them, guides them in paths of righteousness, in those well-worn paths, the paths of hope, and for his name's sake. So as we think about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd, what he wants to say to us today is he is the one who will guide you. If you would listen and attune your ears to his voice, he has much to say to you about the things that you face. You have a decision. You have something that that might involve maybe a, a job change or a move. You have an issue in relationships. You know, should I... Uh, pursue this relationship? Should I break off this relationship? You have an issue in finances. Anything that you might face, our role is to follow the guidance of the Good Shepherd. We're the sheep. And we admit, God, I'm dumb. I make dumb decisions. God, I'm stubborn. Sometimes I, I just do the same bad things over and over and over again. God, I'm defenseless. I get out here by myself, and and I get overwhelmed by all the messages and all the stuff that's coming on. God, I need you to guide me. And we attune our ear to his voice, and he guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. We follow him as we listen to the voice of the good shepherd. I'm glad God wants to guide me. He doesn't leave me to fend for myself. He's a good shepherd. He wants me to go in and out and find the pasture that are good for me. Another thing that we can learn 
about Jesus as the good shepherd is the good shepherd provides. Aren't you glad the good shepherd provides? What does Psalm 23 start with? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, let's just clarify that for a minute because there are those who might say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is akin to saying, Warren Buffett is my daddy, I get anything I want. And that is not what that verse is saying. God is owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God is wealthier than even the wealthiest person on earth. There's no resource that's not at his disposal. But I don't think what he means in Psalm 23.1 when he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is whatever you want, he gives you. Because we can look at other places in Scripture and find out that we're warned, we're told, Hey, listen, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you won't have everything. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in the letters to the churches, there's one of the letters that says, on the outside, you got everything you need, but on the inside, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. That's not nice, but that's what it says. It's not about material things. I, I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think the issue for us in Psalm 23.1, when it says, I shall not want, is that I can trust. Those two phrases are connected. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have to want what he hasn't provided me. I am able to trust the careful care of my shepherd, who promises to supply all of my needs, and so I don't have to be in want, because if God knows I need it, it's up to him to provide it, and if he hasn't provided it, maybe there's a reason I don't need it. The issue there is relational not material. The Lord is my shepherd. I trust Him to provide for me. In fact, it it gets rather specific. How does He provide for me? Well, He makes me lie down in green pastures. If you pick up that book, The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, He talks about how rare it is for a sheep to lie down. In fact, sheep, as a rule, don't like to lie down, partly because they're pretty defenseless, and and other reasons, but there there are certain conditions that have to be met. The only time a sheep will lie down is if, A, there's no conflict in the flock. If there's been any, you know, like arguing, not that sheep are like, well, that's mine. No, it's not. Well, you know what I'm saying. They're like button heads. Almost literally, there's tension in the flock. A sheep won't rest. A sheep won't rest if it's hungry. Won't lie down. In fact, that's why I think it says, he makes me lie down in what kind of pastures? Green pastures. So obviously the point is, food is everywhere. I don't have to worry about I'm able to eat to my fill. And that's another another thing is the sheep has to feel safe. If there's any sense, again, that defenseless part of him, if there's, there's anything that might press around him, maybe uh, verse 4, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if there's any sense that there's a problem around, the shadows are long, if there's any sense that there's tension between me and the other flock mates, or if I'm not well-fed, I'm not going to lie down. And it's the same thing with us, isn't it? When you think about it, to lie down in green pastures, the, the point is to relax, to let your guard down. There, there's a vulnerability to a defenseless animal that can't get up and down all, off always gracefully to lie down and put himself in even more peril. So you have to be pretty certain nothing's coming after you, whether it be the coyotes or other predators around, or whether it be the person two pews behind you or in front of you, or however it works. You have to be pretty content. You have to be well-fed. 
got to know that it's provided for you. I, I like that picture. That can you can you picture in that verse the calmness and the the contentment of the sheep, almost as if that should be the calmness and contentment that this flock we call the church under the good shepherd should feel. And how unfortunate it is when when even though God wants to speak to us all the time and feed us the, the pure milk of the word or meat of the word, and we don't we don't get it that, that, that we feel hungry and we look for other things to satisfy. Or or maybe how unfortunate it is that we, we have an enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, and, and we feel when we're all alone out there, we feel vulnerable because the reason we're all alone out there is because inside the, the church family, there's not a sense of support and prayer. There's little arguing and nitpicking and all of that sort of thing. And so we can't relax. We can't be vulnerable with each other. We can't lie down in the green pastures that God's provided without those things being met. And, and the good shepherd provides in that way, makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the quiet waters. Sheep don't drink rushing water or running water. They like it to be still. They are also, as I understand, a little bit clumsy. You know what happens when you're carrying a big coat of wool and you slip off the bank of a rushing river and fall in? Like a sponge. And you fall to the bottom. And so they don't want any of that possibility. So they look for quiet, calm pools of water that aren't too threatening that they can drink from. And that's what the Good Shepherd guides us to do. He restores my soul. That, that phrase kind of helps us fulfill the part of verse 1, I shall not want. Because here's what happens sometimes in our world, in our lives. We're looking for the restoration of the physical. We're looking at all the needs of the physical being met. And we're bombarded with things that tell us you're missing out on something. Maybe it's this product or this, this vehicle, this house, this piece of furniture, this piece of technology. This experience, Troy's experience a huge one in our world, this relationship, this pleasure, this whatever, we're always looking for the next material or physical experience. And this says he doesn't only worry about those needs of the flesh. He restores what? My soul, the innermost, deepest part of me. And when your soul is restored and at rest and satisfied, it is amazing how fleeting the material desires can be. When you find your source of wholeness and satisfaction in who God is internally, well then, there is that reality. Matthew 9, Jesus is looking around and he sees the crowds and it says they are harassed and helpless. And very particularly, the next phrase is this, like sheep without a shepherd. And when I picture that, if I can move it into the modern day, the way I picture it is like Christmas shopping season in the good old U.S. of A. Don't you love to go to the mall at Christmas time? Exactly. But you can't find a parking place, right? you got to park a mile out there. Everybody's nuts. Who, who Black Friday shop? Is it Black Friday? Is that what it's called? Black Friday. Anybody Black Friday shop? One. Two. Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday. You know what I found? There's no crowd when I get up at 5 a.m. at my computer. Type it in. No lines, no waiting. That's amazing. Anyway, 
what you think about that picture. You go to the mall, people are everywhere. Maybe it's the latest. I know I'm going to push this back a few years. Remember uh, when um, Cabbage Patch Kids were the thing? That was a long, 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 long time ago. There's some of you going, what's a Cabbage Patch Kid? Why would anybody want a head of lettuce for a toy? They did. It was amazing. Have a lettuce, or you want a cabbage patch kid? And people, and even now you see those videos, people getting fights over the hottest toys because there's so few of them at that great price. And I see Jesus looking down on that and saying, Man, these people are harassed. They're helpless. They're pursuing all the wrong stuff. They're chasing the wrong things. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They've gotten off the well beaten path, and they're stubborn and foolish and defenseless out there. And they're having their lunch eaten. And Jesus says, no, I restore your soul. He has so much more for us. He is the one who, who provides all that we need ultimately for our good. The good shepherd does that. And, and I want you to notice, finally, the good shepherd protects us. If you're defenseless, you need some help, right? Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David writes these words as a shepherd to describe what he knew of God's care for him so that Jesus in John 10 could say, I am the good shepherd. And so many would know this passage speaking as a Jewish man to Jewish people, they would understand all that was present there in a very agricultural society. Some of the things that jump out in those few verses, I I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a place many of us have walked. Maybe you find yourself recently or even now walking through that valley. It's not a fun place to be. And in that valley, I will fear no evil. What's the reason? For you are with me. The good shepherd guides and protects and provides. There he is, right in the midst of that valley. We don't have to go through that valley alone. God is there. His rod and his staff are those instruments. The rod, the instrument of protection that would be used by the shepherd, particularly against predators. As he, as he herded his sheep from point A to point B, maybe through that valley, through that narrow spot where predators had lots of places to hide and pounce. His rod was always in his hand, and should he notice a threat, the rod actually is something that the shepherd personally chose and crafted to fit his hand, and it was like a club, and he was not only able to to use it as a club, but a good shepherd could throw that thing with such velocity and accuracy that he didn't have to be close to, to the predator. He could see it maybe hiding behind that rock and whip the rod at him, and I'm either hurt the the predator or scare it away so the sheep could get through. And his staff, that crook stick, right? You can't have a Christmas play without crook sticks. Is there a crook? Is that like a a granny word I'm using? From my my granny, like if you're a granny, I'm not insulting. I'm saying my granny, that crook. Am I the only one that says it that way? Crooked? Hooked? Crooked. Crooked. Crook. driving the teacher nuts. <laughs> I don't know why she said it that way, but that's how she... Anybody else? Crook? One, 
two, three. Okay. Maybe it's like one of those weird words. But anyway, crooked stick, that, that hooked or crooked head, typical shepherd's accoutrement. How's that? That sounds better than crook, like some old single fly redneck word. I'll use a fancier word that he would use. And that, that staff was very important for the shepherd. It was one that as he herded his sheep through that valley, one way they knew the shepherd was with them is he would use that staff to nudge them, either to nudge them along or just to rub alongside their 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 back or their neck to let them know, as the good shepherd, I'm just that close. I'm within a few feet of you. You don't have anything to fear. I'm right here with you as we go through this valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What does he say next? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Because if, if the sheep need to feel safe to, to lie down, and that somewhat applies to eating, to, to get their fill, they have to know the shepherd is right there. Even if the enemies are all around, knowing the shepherd is there allows the sheep the peace, the food. You anoint my head with oil. Here's one of the things in that book that I mentioned that was kind of creepy. Um, apparently, in that part of the world, flies like the nasal passages of sheep to lay their eggs. And if that would happen, often the larvae, or whatever you'd like to call them, would, having hatched inside the nasal passages, not always make their way out, but would often go the other way and would torment the sheep terribly to the point that sheep would bash their head against things trying to get relief. You probably wish that you could bash your head against something just thinking about it. I mean, it really gets to you, doesn't it? And what the shepherd would do, the good shepherd, is he would anoint their head with oil, a sort of, of insecticide, a sort of insect repellent that wouldn't allow... that. Both the aroma and the, the coating wouldn't allow the flies to torment the sheep in that way. And so he anointed their head with oil, and they were free from that disturbance. He was the good shepherd, and my cup runneth over. One of the traditions of that day, not, no, not necessarily for shepherds, but in, in social settings. Have you ever had a party and you re- just wish people would leave and they don't seem to get the hint? Anyone? You're going to admit that in church? No. Sometimes, you know, maybe you're tired and you just think, okay, it's kind of done. I wish they'd go, go, right? Well, in that day and age, one of the ways that you indicated that was you quit refilling their goblet. You just didn't give them any more to drink. And the, the host would do that, and the guest would know, oh, that's the sign that I'm supposed to leave now. He's not putting anything else in my cup to drink makes sense, right? I mean, it sure beats going and putting on your pajamas and coming out and turn on TV and kicking back in the recliner as a way to signal it's time to go. So that was the, that was the commonly accepted thought. And, and what does this say? My cup runneth over, which means I can stay as long as I want. I'm not pushed away. The shepherd always has what I need, and he's willing to provide it to the point that my cup is always full to running over. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because my cup, it runs over. I can stay forever. The good shepherd 
protects his sheep. Jesus told a parable about the lost sheep. You may be familiar with that. It's the same uh, section where the prodigal son or the lost son is told. And the first part of that is in Luke chapter 15. He tells the story, and beginning in verse 4, he says this, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, what does he do? He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is the good shepherd. It says in John 10, 11, who lays down his life for his sheep. And here in this parable, he says, listen, when one is missing, I go looking for it. That's a pretty remarkable, I mean, if, if sheep are really not the brightest animals and prone to, to get lost and stubborn, to get away from the protection of the fold is a big thing. It means you're out on your own without defense. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. It's remarkable. David comes out to a battlefield in 1 Samuel 17. I think you might know this story. And when he gets there, there's this fella out in the field spouting blasphemies against his God. And he asks around, he goes, guys, what in the world? Why are we just sitting here? Why are we ta- What's happening here? And they said, well, you know, he's a pretty big dude. I don't want to fight him. You want to fight him? Sure. It's a little abbreviated version. Sure, I'll fight him. So well, we're not just going to send you out there. You're going to go talk to the king. And he goes to the king. And the king wants to know what does this little pipsqueak have to offer me fighting that monster out there? And what does David tell him? Well, listen, I'm a shepherd. And being a shepherd, the sheep have enemies. And before in my shepherding, a lion has come and grabbed one of the sheep and tried to take it off. And you know what I did? I went after it. And I whacked that lion. And I whacked that bear. And I brought the sheep back. That's pretty good, right? So the king says, all right, go get him. Quite a resume. But think about that. What does David say? Put it together with what Jesus said. Put it together with what we said earlier about the one who's like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And look around this room. You know, we we live in a beautiful place, yes? Yesterday was spectacular. It was gorgeous. It was a little hot, but it was spectacular, right? Amazing place. We live in a place that four out of five people do not know the shepherd. Four out of five huge number, which means that lion that's seeking whom he may devour has some of your neighbors in his jaws and is dragging them away to God knows what, has some of your co-workers in his jaws and is dragging them away, has some maybe even of your family members in his jaws and is dragging them away. David, as a shepherd, said, when I see the lion come get one of my sheep, what do I do? I go get him back. And Jesus said, in that parable, when he sees one missing, what does he do? 
He leaves the 99 and goes and hunts for the one. And when he finds him, he puts him on his shoulders. And there's and throws a party. And there's more rejoicing over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who don't need to repent. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I've laid down my life for the sheep. And I've laid down my life for you. And we in this room, most of us know him. And we know his voice. And I think as I get to this point of what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd, I have to ask myself, have we noticed the one that's being dragged away? Who is that one that the enemy has a hold of that may be God's saying to you? What are you doing? Try to win them back. Try to to bring them under my care. See, God, in his wisdom, gave us the church. And a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about church. And we've earned a lot of those things, if we're honest. But you know when church is at its best? When people are caring for each other. However that looks, and wherever that happens, be it in a building like this or somewhere out in the community, the church is at its best when they just care for each other. And you do it all the time. I've seen it. I've heard about it. You know, when the church is at its worst, when it does the opposite of what Jesus indicated makes him happy in this parable, when it decides the one doesn't matter, because look at all of us in here. See, I think too often in church world, we've become content with the 99 and been willing to ignore the one. We've become satisfied with our experience, with our friendships, and even with the care we receive from others, maybe even in this room or in your Bible study group, or if you're a part of another church another part of our, our world or country with that group at the expense of the fact that all around us the predators the enemy is ruining lives look we got 99 here that one doesn't matter that much and for Jesus the good shepherd how much did it matter he left the 99 Maybe the question we have to ask ourselves as a church is are we willing to be like Jesus and do that? And if we're willing, what are we willing to risk to make that happen? How uncomfortable are we willing to become so that like the shepherd? we can go after the one that the enemy has in his grasp. Jesus said, 
how it works. David said, that's what I did. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to go after him to the point that I'm willing to die. And he did. For you. For me. And we know that and we rejoice in that. And now, the question is, will we share that? Will we go out so that the one might know?